Welcome into the Chris Collinsworth Podcast, starring Richard Sherman and delivered to you by our good friends at DraftKings. So if you're looking to go out there and get engaged, have a little fun on Sundays, uh, DraftKings is certainly the spot to go. It's, it's a great app, great spot, so easy to use, not confusing at all. You'll have a great time. So Richard Sherman was fantastic today. I made him become a general manager. And we're firing hot takes left and right <laughs> at every team in the league. You're going to love it. Trust me, you're going to love it. But I was challenged this week to come up with my top five. And I couldn't believe how stupid I felt doing this thing. It is really hard. There is no clear-cut favorite in the National Football League right now. I'm going to take you down from five to one, and I can't believe the teams I'm going to leave out of this mix. Number five. Baltimore, we have not seen the best of Lamar yet. I don't believe that. I think the best is still to come. And plus they add Yannick Ngakwe to go along with his former teammate in Jacksonville, Calais Campbell. They are going to be tough to beat. Number four, there's just something about the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, and Devontae Adams. We know they're going to have the offense. You've got the experience. He's got the chip on his shoulder. They drafted a quarterback. He hates the world. So you got to believe Aaron Rodgers this year is going to be hard to handle. Kansas City, offense, offense, Patrick Mahomes. Nobody can stop him, right? Pittsburgh at number two. Pittsburgh at number two because of the defense they're playing. If their offense starts playing up to what I think they're capable of, and when Ben and this group really gets going and stops making key mistakes during the course of a game, who knows what they could be? So tough in that first half against Tennessee. Number one, I think at this point, you got to take Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Certainly one of the best defenses in football. Todd Bowles doing a phenomenal job with that defensive team. They can play off. They can play man coverage. They can blitz like maniacs. They can rush for and get to the quarterback. And Tom Brady, his receivers haven't been healthy the whole year. And now he's already in the MVP race. Add Antonio Brown. There you go. My top five. Pick it apart. Have a little fun. We had a lot of fun today with Richard Sherman. We're coming back with George Shahari and all of our picks. Here is Richard Sherman. All right, here we go with King Richard. And uh, good to see you again, man. How you feeling? I'm feeling a lot better. You know, get, you know, starting to get through this rehab and things are looking uh, brighter. You know, for a professional athlete, the word rehab is said with such disgust, isn't it? It's like they're through rehab, you know, it's just because like, it, it makes you, it's worse than practicing. It's worse than playing. Oh, it's, it's, it's 24 hours. Yeah, it's much worse. You, 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 you almost despise the training room because you have to go through it. And it's no, it's not their fault, you know, but it's like, I'm not playing. I'm frustrated and I'm in this place when I'm feeling bad and frustrated. So I don't ever want to be here again. I remember Paul Brown, I was, came back and I just tore the heck out of my ankle one game. And so I'm sitting there in the ice tub and he, I, he didn't really ever talk to me, you know, that I remember. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he walked in the training room and he, he looks at me and he goes, you know, one of the reasons I insisted on drafting you was that I knew no matter what, you'd be ready and you'd show up that next Sunday, every single week. You would never let me down, right? And right. I'm looking at him over at the train. I go, time to go to work, boys. Looks like I'm in, you know? <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter what you feel like. It, it, you guys have it a little bit better than that now. At least oh, they, they have some people that are smart. Then it was just like, here's a needle, here's a drug, here's a go get them, Tiger, go get them. You know, you still run into guys like myself who have the old school mentality like, hey, we got anything we can shoot into there to make it better, but they just don't allow it anymore. They just, <laughs> you know, times have changed too much. It's too bad. It was pretty good stuff. It was All right, good stuff. Let, let, let's go through a few things now. So I, I had my first COVID game last week, which now officially sucks because I'm sitting there. So I don't mind. I don't care which game we do. People always say, oh, you're cheering for that. I was like, I don't care. I, what difference would it make to me? You guys, you know, it makes no difference. But so we are we do all our work. Like for me, for the most part, like the work, real work is done like Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Like, so you go through and you take all the film and you're going through everything and you're memorizing names and you're doing the whole thing. And then Wednesday, I get this call and it says, um, we're definitely not doing the Patriots or Raiders. I was like, what? 
Yeah, because they've got Trent Brown had COVID positive and all the offensive linemen. And they came back and said to us, NBC, it's your call. It's your call. You can stay with that game. But, but if that game gets canceled, which if all those offensive linemen can't play, it might get canceled, then you guys will have to call a game from the booth in Las Vegas and the game might be in, in Carolina or the game might be in Jacksonville or the game might be whatever. So they were like, okay, I guess we'll take another game. So then it comes down to, then we're going, okay, well, we'll do New England. We'll do your guys' game. You know, we'll do uh, Tennessee, Pittsburgh. We'll do, but the truck is across the country. So they can't get the truck to call the game across right. the country, right? Okay, so which game is close? All right, well, the, the, the Arizona game's relatively close to Vegas, so we can get the truck there. So they get the truck there. And so now on Thursday, you go throw all that in the garbage can. Imagine game planning all week long, throwing the whole thing in the garbage can and going, here we go. And then we ended up with like an instant classic. You know, that right. game was like complete <laughs> overtime. So it was all worth it. It was all fun. But it was crazy. The, the impact of this COVID is just, it's like nicking away at everybody, isn't it? It is 100% nicking away at everybody. And that's that's the worst part is because like it impacts so many things and, and people don't understand that. People would never know that unless you told, I didn't know that until you told me, you know, everybody's like, hey, just flex this game and switch this game. And they're like, hey, yeah, it sounds good, but they don't understand the process and the logistics behind it and how many people it affects. Um, it's been tough, but, but you guys did a great job. You guys did a phenomenal job. I mean, nobody would ever know. You know what the best part is? So every game, no matter what, it's like there's some you go on you go somebody sends me stuff on Twitter or something you know the my, the bitch about me of the week right right every right. week there's a different bitch and I'm like all right what did I say this time I you know you come out of the game you go all right what did I say I don't know I know I did something Moonball now became like the thing there's like oh he said Moonball four hundred <laughs> so now I'm the Moonball guy so you know, whatever it's all it's all good. Did, right. did you go to New England or did you not go? Did you just watch it on TV? No, I mean, it's getting so ridiculous. So if you think the COVID protocols are ridiculous for you, so since I'm on IR, they no longer let you even in the locker room on game day, on Sundays. So we can't yeah. travel with the team at all. But so on game day, since our stadium is our, like it's our everyday locker room. So it's not like game day locker room, you switch everything over. Like our game day locker room is our everyday locker room. So all your stuff's there. But on game day, when, when I have to go do my runs and rehab and all that, we, they have to move all of our stuff to like this auxiliary closet uh, for all the guys who are, on our, who are on IR. We can't work out in the training room. We can't do anything. We can't even damn near be near the team on, on game day. So it's, it's a crazy adjustment. So no, I wasn't in New England and I won't be in Seattle this week. Well, is there, if, if you had to say, forget a team for a minute, a player, if you had to say there was one player that in your mind was like just this rival, you know, some guy that you knew when you were playing that guy this week that you were up out of bed early, you had a smile on your face, you were ready to go. This was the one week that you you couldn't wait to get to the practice facility. Who is that one guy? Fitz. Really? Yeah, it's, it's Fitz. Um and it has been because he, my rookie year, he freaking, he took me to school. The last game of the season, I had started nine games before then. That was my 10th game starting. Um, I had had a pretty good season. I had three interceptions. I'm named the all-rookie team. You know, I'm having a really good year uh, for a fifth-round pick, you know, that nobody expected to do anything. And, and our defense has been playing really well. And I'm playing really well against him, and he starts to freaking turn it on, like, mid-fourth quarter, and we went into overtime. You know, I made an interception, took our team down to like the eight yard line and, you know, we tied it up and we went to overtime. And in overtime, he showed why he was Larry Fitzgerald. He was, he was, you know, he ran this, uh, like this bang post um, out of a, out of a, a nasty split. Well, he motioned to a nasty split. So he was like, he was kind of in no man's land. And he comes, he stems out to me, doubles me up, crosses my face, grabs it with one hand, Cam obliterates him and he holds on to it. And he just gets up, flips the ball back to the to the uh, to the ref, and keeps going. Next play, or you know, maybe a drive later, he freaking back shoulders me, 
bang, flips the ball back to the, and I'm just like my whole world spinning because he hadn't had much until that point. And I think he ends up with a hundred yards or something. That was one of the, the 300 yard games I've given up in my career. And, uh, and ever since then, it's, it's been like every game I play him, I, I look forward to the challenge because it's going to be a new, unique challenge. And obviously, you know, things have changed over the years for him and for myself. Um, but it's, it's always been really fun and really something I look forward to. So we, we were doing a playoff game with Larry Fitzgerald, who you're talking about. The night before, it's our last game of the year. We, we don't do the Super Bowl this year. It's our last game. And so we're at State 44, I think is what it's called. Is that right? That's his restaurant, I think. And, you know, he's a part owner or whatever. So it, we're, and we got a huge NBC crew there, you know, and, and it's maybe like 10, 12 people, our wives, you know, we're going to celebrate. We're going to play golf the next day. It's, it's going to be great. So we, we get in there. And so there's a bunch of people. Larry comes by. Hey, how are you? It charms the hell out of all the women. They're all kind of melting around this guy, right? He's the great, coolest guy in the world. Stays just the perfect amount of time. Leaves at the perfect time and entertained us all. So we get ready. And clearly it's an NBC function. So there's no reason to do it. End of it, we get up and we say, can we get our check, please? And uh, Mr. Fitzgerald picked up the check. So whatever it is, 12 or 14. I, I hate to even think. I mean, this was our end of year celebration. This thing was a real bill. This one was <laughs> right. this was not messing around. Right. So we go, so we go to the game the next day, and Al and I are like, kind of no matter what he does, he's gonna be one of the stars of this game. <laughs> <laughs> Larry knows so how to play it, man. Oh yeah. So we get out there, and by God, he was the star of the game. At the end of the game, he catches one, he goes 50 yards and down to like the five-yard line. Shovel pass, and he's in the end zone. Game-winning touchdown, blah, blah, blah. So Al and I go crazy. We do our whole thing. You know, we do the thing. So then the next day, we're like, oh, it's so cool. Larry was so good to us. We got the, you know, return the favor a little bit. It's so great. We show up at the golf course the next day. Larry's standing there on the first tee. He's already bought our round of golf. He's got his <laughs> lunch. He's like, I'm like, what the heck? This is unbelievable. Who is this gonna, guy? Are you, you going to be on the airplane with us going home? What the heck is this thing? He is the best. Though. I've never seen a guy. He's been to like over 100 countries. He's It's crazy. He's, he's the mayor of Arizona for sure. Oh, but, oh, oh man, it, it, you won't find a human being, at least I haven't found one, that, was, that can say a negative word about him. Um, you know, people are like, he talks on the field, and it's like he's the most positive talking. He's the only player that ever asks consistently about my family, my kids, while we're in the middle of play. You know, he's like, how's your, how's your brother doing? The one time it burned him, the one time it got him, we were in Seattle, and we were in the slot, he and I, um, and I'm guarding him, and he's he he saw my mom and uh, my brother pregame, you know, because they know him. You know, Fitz is always a fantastic guy. He comes to my softball yeah. game. I go to his softball game. You know, we um, so he gets a chance to get to know my family. I get the chance to get to know his his kids and his family. Um, so so we're in the slot and we're lining up like this is in the game. This is the middle of the game, and he's like, "Yeah, man, I saw your brother. Man, he looks really good. Your mom looks fantastic." And they they were talking to me, and they snapped the ball. Carson snaps the ball, and I'm I, I can feel the, everybody moving around me, but I don't move till Larry moves. We're in man coverage, and so so I'm like, "Yeah, Larry, man, they're they're really good, but you, you ready to go?" <laughs> and he, he like looks around, he panics, and and he runs like a quick slant, and I intercept the ball. <laughs> and, and, oh. oh my God. Ever since that day, he like, he, he'll talk to me, but it'll always be between a huddle. Uh, now, he'll <laughs> never talk to me at the line of scrimmage ever again. <laughs> I have never heard a story like that. That's awesome. <laughs> we have uh, people used to talk about my family on the field, but never like that. It was right. Larry, <laughs> it's just another glowing uh, experience with Larry Fitzgerald, man. He's a fantastic human being. No doubt about it. Hey, this is an interesting time of year because there are so many teams now that are talking about, should we trade? Should we do this? You know how it is in baseball. Once a team gets down, now they're looking to shuffle off all their big salaries and get draft picks or get, you know, whatever, red prospects. So there's conversations going on now about, you know, you hear in Atlanta, you know, are they going to trade Matt Ryan? Are they going to trade Julio Jones? You know, I, I was talking about this last year with the Bengals. I was like, now that they got Joe Burrow, they should trade all those 30-year-olds. I mean, they're all great players, but really, if they had traded A.J. Greens, Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, they would have gotten a ton for them a year ago. Now none of them are happy. Now all of them went out. They're going to get nothing for them. So there is some advantage 
to making those kinds of deals. Do you think we're going to see any of that sort of stuff as we head down the trade deadline here? You know, I, I, I aspire to be a GM one day. I'm not sure anybody would be crazy enough to give me the reins of a team. But um, I think you have to weigh it all. You have to weigh it all. You have to weigh the future impact. Like, I, I don't know the last time I've heard of a, a, a top tier or starting quarterback getting traded at the trade deadline, you know, to a team. Because even if you're giving up, there's no – there aren't many contenders that, that feel they can take a quarterback – and replace the guy that they've been going with and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to get better. He's going to learn our playbook in a week, and then he's going to be able to, to take us over the top. Now, if you're saying getting these conversations started for the offseason in terms of quarterback, then there's a conversation. Like we did with Emmanuel Sanders last year, we had a need. He, was a reason, he had a reasonable price tag. Um, there were no long-term effects in terms of the salary, you know, years of salary left on, on his deal. Um, and he was a veteran presence. It was the, it, it was the most symbiotic, perfect fit that, that has probably happened at the trade, trade deadline in a long time. Um, but when you talk about guys like Julio and Matt, um, who've been well-established in those offenses to say, hey, they're going to go, you know, receivers obviously easier to, to, to meld into an offense than a quarterback. But, um, but if you think you're just going to take on his salary in the years that ha- he has left on his salary, et cetera, on, on his contract, that takes a little bit more risk and, and more impact. So I don't, I don't necessarily see that unless a player just says, hey, you know, I'll eat some of the salary or something like that. I don't see a lot of action happening in that regard. Oh, now that I know you want to be a GM, I'm going to torture you for the rest of the time that I have. <laughs> okay, Mr. General Manager, here we go. I've got a couple <laughs> of questions for you. Antonio Brown has been sitting out for a little while. He has gone through the suspension. He's back. It's possible to play. Tom Brady, who now is playing very well, but has had injuries to those key wide receivers, Evans and Godwin. You know, they've really uh, had a tough time getting back to 100%. You know there's a possibility this is not going to work out. Didn't work out in New England. It didn't work out in Oakland when he was with the Raiders. And so now you bring him in. Would you have done it, and why or why not? I would have hundred percent done it, and I and I and I understood um, Bruce's logic in doing it, um, and what he what he explained in his press conference uh, or on his call was was perfect because if when you brought him into to the 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 Raiders, like you brought him in to be the guy, to be a leader, to be an alpha, to be the, the superstar, but not everybody's built to be that. You know, and you and, and certain guys you have to bring in and you have to you have to almost treat them a certain way so that you 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 contain the expectation. You 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 say, hey, you have to have a conversation with him. This is what we expect from him. You can't just say, hey, we pay this guy a lot of money and he's going to be a star because there's more that comes to being a star in the face of a franchise than just the play on the field. And I think the Raiders learned that really quickly with with A.B. And then with with the. Uh, with the Patriots, he had Tom, but he still had a young receiver group that he's dealing with, you know, and he still had all his off the field stuff. So he still had issues that he was dealing with. Now, a lot of those issues have been addressed. You know, the the proceedings, the suspensions, the, the it has played its course. He had to, he, he's had to be humbled. He's set off a field and he's coming into a group that doesn't need it. Those other places, they needed him. They treated him like they needed him. They treated him like he was important. They don't need him in Tampa. He's, he's more of a Band-Aid. And when you when when he's not looked at that way, like he was in Pittsburgh for a while before he became, you know, when they had Mike Wallace, when they had Emmanuel, when they had um, Hunt, they had all these receivers, and he was just another one of the receivers. He was incredibly talented. He's really good, but he he got to shine because he didn't have to shine. And I think in in Tampa, he gets an opportunity to do that exact. Like the expectations are low. There's low risk. There's low financial commitment. It's, it's almost a no-brainer, and it's a veteran receiver group who, who won't be influenced by him. Like, you're, you're not going to influence Mike. You're not going to influence Godwin. You're not going to influence any of the guys that have been there. You're not going to influence Tom. So it's not like you're going to be able to, to, to have that kind of force. So I think it, it's a better fit for him. We know Antonio Brown's a great player. Why was he a great player? Now you're, you're defending him. What made him a great player? What did you have to take away? He his his ability to 
to change speeds and to to be deceptive in inside his route running. He's also stronger and craftier than you think. Like the subtle movements that that you usually would not get from a from a small receiver, the stuff you would usually get from uh, 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 let's see, a Brandon Marshall or or a Mike Evans. You know, he used some of Brandon Marshall stuff. You were getting from Antonio Brown, and and that's the 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 late pull of the of the shirt of the of the via the neck. Um, you would get the the late push offs, the 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 very physical, subtle things that you would not expect from a small receiver. But if you're playing off coverage of, on him. He has the ability to 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 appear like he's moving slow, appear that he's he's kind of jogging, and then accelerate to the point where you have to respect it and open up, and then shut it down and catch a ball and turn around and accelerate. And I think his ability to do that—I mean, he's he's an incredible route runner—really allows him to get the kind of separation that he was he, he was getting in uh, Pittsburgh and I mean everywhere he goes. And I think he, he and Tom built a a nice rapport in New England, and I think Tom. And him felt felt like they could have done a lot more, and I, I look forward to seeing it. Do Do you think he fits in the slot in Tampa? Where does he go? He's a football player, you know. Doesn't receiver, matter. it doesn't it doesn't matter. You receiver, I mean, offense is much different than defense. Defense, you have certain players that are in the slot and they fit that mold, and you have certain corners that have to be on the outside. At at receiver, he's a guy that that can, especially in Bruce's offense, the 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 slot guy is usually the shot guy anyway. So. It's going to be a perfect fit for him. Baker Mayfield this past weekend got off to a really slow start. Didn't look good. Early interception, blah, 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 right? All of a sudden, Odell got hurt on the interception and trying to run down, make a play, make the tackle. Um, goes out of the game. Baker proceeds to hit 21 in a row, something like that, 21 out of 22, something like that and throw five touchdown passes. There's a theory going around that somehow it has helped Baker because he doesn't have the pressure to get the ball to Odell that now he can play within the offense. Your opinion of that theory? I mean, come on now, Chris. We, we talked about <laughs> this with Christian McCaffrey a few weeks ago, didn't we? Where it was yeah. like, the offense opens up when Mike, da like like they were winning games. It's Mike Davis, and now, now all of a sudden the offense is more diverse, and more efficient, um, and and you it's unpredictable. And the same is true with Odell. When, when Odell's out there, you say, hey, we 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 cloud him, we bracket him, we we run two man, we double him, we do whatever we can to take him away, and then we play defense everywhere else, and they still are going to try to force him the ball. When you take him away, then it's like even if you had a, a number one corner. And you're like, we're going to follow Odell and give him all this attention. It's like, hey, uh, what do we do now? It's like, yeah, you just play normal. And when you're playing normal football and you say, well, who, who's his first read? And you're like, well, uh, Jarvis used, is probably his first read. It used to be read. Odell. Yeah. It used to be Odell. So it's, it's probably Jarvis, but he likes the tight end. Then it's like you, you kind of have to play it honest. You can't double anybody. You can't. It, it almost screws you in the middle of the game because you game plan to, 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 to shade your defense a certain way. And I think it helps Baker mentally to say, hey, look at the play, digest what you got, and go to the – get take what the coverage gives you. Not, hey, you know the coverage, but you know you better get the ball to Odell this play. We need to feed him the ball. You don't have to do that. And I think when you don't have to do that, it changes the dynamic, and it makes him and it makes the offense more efficient. You know what was one of the more interesting comments for me this week? And I'm doing, we're doing Dallas-Philadelphia this week. Um, when Mike McCarthy, after the game, um, Andy Dalton got knocked out of the game by John Bostic, late hit, you know, whatever he was trying to slide, whatever the, the whole thing. And Mike McCarthy, after the game, said, my guys didn't handle that the right way. You don't get your quarterback knocked out of the game. That response wasn't the right response. He didn't take it beyond that. But clearly you could tell he was saying, somebody should have been taken on Bostic at the moment that that happened, right? Right. Now, as a player, you go, okay, coach, but if I go in there and I get thrown out of the game and I throw a punch and we get 15 yards, are you sure? Like, you're now telling me that's okay. That's okay. And yet it was a really interesting 
I, I was wondering what the league response was going to be. I mean, the whole thing is like brushback pitches, right? It's almost like you, you know it, you do it, and you don't talk about it. And it kind of came out in the open a little bit this week. Like the, like the great quote from Remember the Titans, attitude reflects leadership. Always has, always will. That is an understood. You don't have to, if you have to explain that to, to your team and say, hey, you guys need to stick up for your guys. Somebody go throw a punch. Somebody go do that. Something's went wrong. Something's broken. Now, what, what can the league do? What can they, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's unspoken. If, if you're in Tampa and somebody hits Tom Brady like that, I, I don't think that guy makes it off the field. If you're in, if you're in, Seattle, and that happens to Russell Wilson, I don't think that guy makes it off the field. If you're in New, uh, New Orleans and it happens to Drew, that guy does not make it off the field. That's how football goes. Now, what the league has to say about it, the league picks and chooses what they want to be aggressive with. What they want to, hey, we, hey, you can't say that. And, they, and I highly doubt they'll say, because that's, that's almost an unspoken truth in our game. You hit the quarterback, you, you, you cheap shot him, the team defends them. That's what you do. It happens on the sideline. If somebody cheap shots them on, on their sideline, you, you see that guy get, get roughed up and then gets back on the field. And you don't ever hear about any punishment or anything happening because that's just how it goes. But I think there's something to be said about the leadership of Mike McCarthy and the way his team is responding in general to adversity. And I don't think that's being talked about enough. I think, I think people definitely need to play, hold the players accountable for what's happening on the field. There's, there's poor blocking, there's poor defense, there's poor tackling, there's poor execution. Guys are fumbling everywhere. They're not protecting the quarterback. They're not opening holes. I mean, it's, it's disaster everywhere. But you have to go to coaching at some point because last year, I, don't, I, I think when, when Chris Richard was, was, was um, having a hand in, in a lot of these things, they were the 11th ranked defense. You know, and, and, and they've improved in some aspects. And a lot of these aspects are the same. They drafted a young corner really high. Um, they got some D-line. They got some pass rush. And when Chris Richard was there, you could see an energy, a tenacity. A, you know, it wasn't perfect. They, they give up plays, they, but you could see the accountability, the energy. You can see that on the field. And now you don't. And I think, I think Jerry Jones is, is regretting that decision to some degree. There's another Jones involved. Byron Jones was a cornerback. They could have re-signed him, didn't re-sign him, didn't re-sign Dak. They signed him to that deal. And now you look at it, right? And you go, who knew that Dak Prescott was that valuable to the Dallas Cowboys, right? Who knew that Byron Jones was going to be that linchpin on the back end, which also brings me to one of the great debates of all time about pass rush, and secondary play. And clearly one of the issues that the Dallas Cowboys have had this year, you look at their pass rush and it's kind of about the same numbers. It's, you know, it may, it may, you know it's, it's pretty good. They have good players there. Um, you know, linebacker play, same two guys, so whatever, coming off some injuries, different things. Secondary, a lot of injuries, a lot of issues, rookies starting back there, and it really is – it looks completely different. I mean, I, I'm watching the defensive tape as we speak. I just I just turned it off. And they're running the schemes. They're running, you know, slot blitzes. They're covering it up. They've got double-A blitzes. It's all the same crap, right? I mean, it's all the same. It's all the same stuff. It's just how you do it and who's doing it and all that. So uh, what's to be learned out of this? Is this a DAC thing? Is this a secondary thing? What, what's the takeaway? You tell me what's changed, and I'll tell you what, what's changed. So Byron Jones is gone, huge impact. But, and you're saying the scheme is relatively the same. That's where I would disagree. I'd say- I didn't say it was the same. I would say it is the same as everybody around the league. So there's not like some big difference. Somebody came in and, and dropped some scheme that nobody was running. It's the same scheme that everybody else is doing. But it's different somehow. It's very different. But but it's different when you when you coach the players a certain way, and and ah. you you coach them in gray area. So if you leave players in gray area, never have them in concrete base and say fundamentals like this guy comes into this zone, it's your guy. If this guy moves here and runs this play, then it's your zone. They're getting beat by the same plays consecutive weeks 
because nobody's coaching them to adjust. So the corner, they're running grab post against what, what appears to be quarters over and over. It's the same, it's the same route that DK Metcalf beat um, Diggs on when Seattle played them. They got beat on the same play this past week. And you're like, you could say corner recognize it, but there must be some gray area, some bit of miscommunication, because I just cannot see a player of, of this kid, of Diggs caliber. He's a, he was a good player in college. He's really talented, really athletic, just getting consistently beat on the same plays week in and week out without somebody telling him, hey, stay on top, make these adjustments. Hey, when you see this formation, take the post. This guy, take the dig. You know, I think... When it's a rookie doing it, you can't expect him to have the understanding and say, hey, everybody runs the same stuff. You you have to coach him. And so when a rookie makes mistakes like that week in and week out, if he makes it once, you say, hey, that's a rookie mistake. He makes it twice, you're like, hey, y'all, are y'all not coaching him up? Are y'all not getting him better? Are y'all not pushing him to get better? Like, players need accountability. But when it's a rookie, you say, come on now. Like, Put him in better positions to be successful. If you see that's a weakness, you see that that that's a problem, then coaching overcomes that. Coaching was supposed to overcome it in New England. It hasn't so far, right? You watched it last week. Everybody watched it. Cam's coming off of COVID. Maybe that has something to do with it. I have no idea. I, I don't know. Um, but today, it looks like letting Tom Brady walk out of there was really a bad idea. You know, because Tom Brady kind of getting settled a little bit now, and that's a couple of back-to-back wins. Uh, my buddy Mike Battaglia told me one time when you're handicapping the Kentucky Derby, he said, don't worry about what happened six races ago or ten races ago. It doesn't matter. Talk to me about the last two or three. And the last two or three have been pretty impressive. And you consider that his receivers have been banged up, and it really is just now starting to kick into gear. It's like, uh oh, you know, uh oh. Well, it 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 just it it's it goes it goes to the old uh, it's the old sentiment: the grass is greener on the other side. You know, people are spoiled, especially fans. Fans are spoiled, and I and I really it, it frustrates me to talk about it because they get spoiled by greatness all the time, and it's almost like it's almost like you have a have a wonderful, beautiful wife, and you just stop appreciating her, and you just like hmm. It's like, she's the same beautiful woman you married. Like, you need to keep your eyes on the prize. But some people lose, you know, you, you see it over and over and over and you lose track of what's going on. I think in this regard, the fans in New England kind of like, oh man, we didn't win the Super Bowl this year when he's taking you and won every one of them that your franchise has. He's He's been the guy. So that guy deserves the utmost ridiculous amount of respect and regard, regardless of, of what his play looks like. And the moment his play started to taper off a little bit, not not a tremendous, it wasn't a drop-off where he's throwing 15, 20 interceptions a year where he's just freaking terrible. His play started to drop off just a tear. And it was like he never played well for him. And they were like, oh, just let's replace him. Like, like he's that, like he like he's just that just another Joe. Like he's just another guy. And that's the part that gets frustrating to to, to players because everybody's talking about age. You know, like, like, oh, they're getting older, so they're getting worse. And it's like, well, you can throw a young guy in a spot and you can coach him the same way. And, you can ex- and I guarantee you, he may never reach the heights that this guy, he may never reach Tom's bottom. He may never reach the, the, the worst year that Tom Brady had. And then you'll appreciate what you had, but it's too late because now he's, he's in Tampa and he's doing well. And you're like, hey, well, well what? He, he looks the same. He looks like he looks the same the guy. Same. Like, and, and it's like, you guys didn't appreciate it. You, you nagged him, you, you, you bitch, oh, it's, it's Belichick. It's not Tom, we don't need Tom. We can do it with anybody. Well, now you find out you can't do it with anybody. And not a shot at Cam, you can't probably rusty from, you know, football's a hard game. You can't just dip in and dip out when you gotta sit out for weeks and then come back into the fray. You know, it takes you a second to get back up to speed. You know, the, you, you, it's like being on a freaking NASCAR. It's like you getting a pit change and the race still going, you know? You got to get back into the fray, and it, it's different. Sometimes it's a different race when you come back. Uh, I, I'm just hearing that, uh, yeah, the rumors may be true. Richard Sherman as general manager to the New England Patriots. Yes, oh, yes, <laughs> I hear that that is possible. So as a general manager of the New England Patriots, how would you handle this situation? 
going into next year, assuming it doesn't completely turn around and assuming that, you know, this is a team that ends up with a higher draft pick than normal. I start working towards that draft pick now. I, you know, obviously there's a team in your division that's working to, towards getting this quarterback. Now, if this quarterback is who people think he is, then having him in your division for the next 10 years would be a detriment. So you have to do what you need to do to put yourself in position that you can either either trade up and get him, you can develop enough draft capital to, to move up and get this guy, or, I mean, I hate to say it, you have to make your team worse, like, like, like what, which they're trying to do. Like they're trying to trade away um, Gilmore, Gilly, who is the reigning defensive player of the year, you don't do that when you're trying to be successful and win. You know, you don't do that when you're saying, hey, we're, we think we're close. You do that when you say, hey, it's time to, like, like you said that uh, Cincinnati should have done. It's time to, to, to grab some draft picks to get, to get rid of these players while they're still valuable and start to move towards, um, move back towards the rebuild and towards the place that we want it to be. And, uh, and so, you know, I mean, it's, it's going to be hard because the Giants and the, and, and the, and the Jets are, are, you know, Jets still haven't won a game. You know, and if they if they don't win a game, they'll get Trevor Lawrence. They'll have their pick. Um, but there are other good quarterbacks, and if you think there's somebody there, then you work towards getting enough draft capital to move up to be in position to draft one. You, you know what's really interesting, I, and I it's almost bizarre because I know how much Belichick loves the game. I, I know how much it's his life, right? He doesn't want to do anything else. He only wants to talk about football. He only wants to do football. And and I found myself thinking about watching that game a little bit. Would he consider not coaching? Because this potentially is a rebuild, right? I mean, this is potentially, and rebuilds don't happen overnight, you know? And if you go long enough and it hasn't gone well enough for a, a few years, you know, it's not good for the reputation. It's not good for anything. And who knows what Tom Brady's going to do. And so you knew these comparisons were going to come right? You knew they were going to come no matter who had success, no matter who was falling off the other direction. It could have easily been the other way if Tom Brady's, you know, one in five or whatever in, in Tampa. So it's a, it's a weird situation right now in New England. It, it, it definitely is. But I think, I think it's tough because, because if, you, if he quits and he, and he stops, it kind of says something more about him and his character. Because when he got to New England, there was a there was a coach a white haired coach um, crazy that that was coaching Drew Bledsoe and I think they had just come off they lost in the playoffs that year and uh, you know now he coaches in Seattle um, and he had coached at SC for a few years so before Belichick there was this this white haired crazy coach um, who coached <laughs> there but when he left they weren't a bad team so when Belichick came in I, Pete always talks about it and he he kind of felt like they pushed him out. You know, it wasn't like they weren't a good team and they, they hadn't gone to the playoffs and they had underachieved. They, they had done well. And so, long story short, it's, it's almost, it would almost behoove Belichick to, to, to take this season, if it's a losing season, and show that he can take them back to championship form. That would be a greater accomplishment. He'll, he'll coach longer than Tom plays, you know. Once Tom retires, I, for some reason, I think Belichick will still coach for 10 more years. And if he can add a championship or two in those 10 years post-Tom, it'll cement him as being who, who he has been built to be, which, which he, he, he already has the acclaim. He's a Hall of Fame coach, but he may be the greatest coach of all time if he can do that and it won't be a discussion. I, I think so, too. I, I think he'll play it all the way through, play it all the way out. I, I wonder how much in his mind he knew what this year was going to be, you know. And I, I, part of me wonders if he saw this COVID stuff coming on, if he saw, you know, like, you know, he has something in the back of his brain about what this year was going to be. And then all of a sudden Cam's there. Well, you know, maybe if I had Cam and then this realization may be kicking in at this point. Yeah, I mean, but but it, it, it who knows, you know, because who knows? because there's been a lot of things that have happened in New England. If everybody could understand what New England was doing and and what they've been able to do and how they how Bill functions and how he, you know, then everybody would be New England. Everybody would be winning Super Bowls. Everybody have dynasties. 
You know, they do have a system and a way of doing things that have been ha, has consistently put them in situations where they're in in the hunt for a championship. And Tom has been a huge part of that, but they've been great defensively, even when they didn't have the greatest pass rushers or didn't have the greatest secondary, you know, not a bunch of, uh, of huge names, even when they didn't have a great receiving core, they still win championships. So um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he has a plan and I think he's a good enough. Well, he's been a great enough coach to, to see the writing on the wall once Tom left and uh, we'll see in the near future what it, what it means. I'll let you go on this one. I see your shirt. It either says total domination or vote. I think it says vote. <laughs> and there you go. So we're coming up. We're getting close, right? Go ahead. Give me give me a little sales pitch. Get out there and vote America. Well, get out there and vote. You know, I mean, at least in the African-American community, you know, we, we weren't able to vote, you know. And, and so use the rights that that our ancestors fought so hard to to get. You know, everybody says, oh, it doesn't matter. If it didn't matter, they wouldn't fight this hard to stop you from doing it. You wouldn't hear about all this voter suppression. You wouldn't hear about all these people waiting in lines to, to vote. If it wasn't if it, all this all this stuff that's happening with the Postal Service, if it wasn't important, they wouldn't do it all. And you can you can say what you want about the two candidates. But in order for your voice to count, you have to go out there and vote. So get it done. There you go. That's pretty good. That was pretty good. You did it even faster than Pete Carroll did. I told <laughs> Pete, I said, I felt like I have to vote for you. I saw on so many vote and campaign ads this week. And <laughs> if, he, if he would have been on the ballot, he would have, he, he, he'd have a chance. <laughs> he would have a chance. All right, buddy. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week. I'll see you next week. All right, here we go. My man, George Shahari, who's in charge of all things gambling and, and <laughs> most things, period, about these days. So it's good. We let him out of his cage to come out and, you know, play a little football with us every once in a while. But, Georgie, we're halfway through the season now and uh, we're going strong. We've got Big Ten football back. Mm -hmm. We've got the Pac-12 coming up in a few weeks. And we're going to have the full slate of NFL games all brought to you by our good friends at DraftKings and their sportsbook and their top-rated sportsbook app and all those different things. Whether it's college, pro, doesn't make any difference. So if there's a promo code for PFF this week, what does that get you? Because you guys have been smoking hot on the college front here. So are we going to Happy Valley? What are we doing first? Yeah, man, college is the Wild West. And uh, there's props too, you mentioned props. Like there's just so much going on. It's almost Halloween and they're kind of giving us a little, a little set of treats here. So the first one with promo code PFF on the DraftKings Sportsbook app is that if you bet on either side of Ohio State, Penn State, either one, doesn't matter, you bet $1, you can win a hundred dollars uh and i'm not you know i'm not the smartest mathematician in the entire world i do have a math degree and i can tell you that's a really good deal um and in addition to that new users still get the thousand dollar sign up bonus plus on sundays they offer these ridiculous odds boosts on different things so if you download the DraftKings sportsbook app you just i mean you get it all basically um it's a really really good deal so download DraftKings Sportsbook app, use promo code PFF, bet $1 to win 100 on either Ohio State or Penn State. You must be 21 or older, you guys know that. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. If you go to Indiana, you might see me there, just saying. Uh, bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires a 25 time playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. 1-800-CALL-GEORGE. Yeah, there <laughs> yeah, you I'll, go. I'll talk you through there. your problems. I'll give you my tequila <laughs> recommendations, all the different things that can help you with that. We have big, big games this week yeah. in the NFL and some that are a little surprising. Like everybody thought the Vikings and Packers would be one of those games with the division title on the line. Da-da-da. Mm -hmm. I saw the Vikings when they were up in Seattle, played them right down to the wire, down to the last play of the game. But they're one and five. Mm -hmm. They're one and five playing the Packers now. The, the Vikings were the favorite to win this division before the season started. 
which first off I thought was kind of crazy, but that tells you where the market was at with them. Um, this one was interesting. This line opened at six and a half on like late, which you got to do, Chris. And I know you're tired after the game on Sunday night, but if you're shrewd, you're checking lines as soon as those games are over because they move really quickly. And this was no, no, six. No, I'm, I'm listening to your podcast. That's right. I know you're checking the lines and you're not <laughs> sleeping on Sunday night because you have to do that podcast. So that's what I'm doing. So that's what you can do. And um, this has already moved to seven. So on DraftKings Sportsbook, it's Packers favored by seven. I This is my question for you. Has Minnesota, they just traded in Gakwe, has Minnesota given up? Because if they come to play here, it's a full touchdown. They have an offense. The, the one thing you know is they can throw the ball down the field, mm -hmm. right? I mean, this is Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson, and they are going to make big plays, which makes them always dangerous, always dangerous. Um, but you also have Jair Alexander on the other side, who is yeah. like this remarkable shutdown, top graded cornerback kind of guy. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think the Packers got a little wake up call in Tampa and they're kind of coming right back with that same chip on their shoulders I saw early on. And I, I it'd be hard for me to go against the Packers right here. Yeah. So seven is such a tricky number because it's six and a half. We write up early picks every week, and we we like the Packers at six and a half. But games land on seven all the time. So if I had to take this one at seven, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go against everything I believe in in the Aaron Rodgers revenge tour. I would hold my nose. I would I would take Minnesota plus seven, and then I would hopefully drown myself in my tears after this game. Well, just make sure that good tequila standing by, <laughs> yeah, big boy. Right? All right, here's the one everybody's going to be talking about. I get to do this game, the rematch of this game on Thanksgiving night, which I am pumped. I know. About. Finally. 6 0 against the Baltimore Ravens, 5 1. The Ravens got knocked off by the Chiefs, right? Now they got another undefeated team coming in here in the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers, at halftime of that game against Tennessee, I go, this is the best team in football. It's not even close. They're just they're blowing away a really good Tennessee team. But they kind of faded down the stretch. We haven't seen Ben closing games and this offense, especially the passing game, what you think it might be, you know, with Chase Claypool and some of these guys playing so well. Um, what, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this one um, is not surprisingly a, a much lower spread, much closer game. Uh, three and a half point favorite uh, are the Baltimore Ravens on the DraftKings Sportsbook. And so I always like to think about where you're buying a team. Like the Steelers are at the top of the market. This is as high as they've been all year. And people are a little down on, on the Ravens right now. Lamar Jackson not playing as well as he did last year. They've only covered the spread three times in their six games. Whereas the Steelers, they've been making money for people. Um, three and a half is tough. I, here was, here's how I'll kind of decide. This will be my how I'll answer this. The Steelers blitz more than any other team. They get pressure more than any other team. Is Lamar Jackson one of those guys that's uniquely positioned to take advantage of that because he's so mobile? Or is it the other way around? It's what people are doing right now to Lamar is they're just loading the box, right? They're just coming from and filling all those lanes and saying, all right, beat me, you know, beat me throwing the ball. Let's see it. I'm not giving you one of those freebies. Um, man, he's so dynamic and you know, you can't bottle him up forever, but they have, they have some great athletes playing defense right now for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it's not often an undefeated team gets Points. That number of yeah. points, right? Um, my, the hard part for me is I thought that game on the road against Tennessee was a brutal football game. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a fist fight from beginning to end. I mean, it was brutal. I, I Something tells me that the Ravens are loaded for bear in this one. I, 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 I don't like having to put together best efforts back-to-back -back weeks, and that's what the Steelers are going to be expected to do. I'd probably take the Ravens. I, I am doing the same. I like the spot exactly. The Ravens, John Harbaugh, 
people are sleeping on him a little bit. This guy is one of the best coaches in the NFL. They're coming off a bye. Um, uh, so I'm with you. I'm buying the Ravens at the bottom of the market, and I like it. Mm, mm. We're going to regret that one, I think. <laughs> and we've got the San Francisco 49ers who have come out of the depths of oblivion oh, to yeah. take on the Seattle Seahawks. Four and three against five and one division rivals. This is going to be fantastic. The Seahawks coming off a heartbreaking loss, 10-point lead late in that game, gave it up. Uh, the defense still struggling somewhat. But Russell Wilson really with his first off performance, three interceptions in that game, uh, maybe a too cute on a couple of those little uh, lollipop throws of his. Mm -hmm. uh, but Tyler Lockett went off, man. I mean, and now you've got Metcalf and Lockett both going crazy. Um, the 49ers, it's all about that run game. God, it does not matter who plays running back. They average five or six yards a carry. It's it's unbelievable what they do running the football. And Fred Warner is fantastic. Who do you like in this one? This one's interesting. The, the Seahawks are a three-point favorite on DraftKings, which makes a ton of sense. I, you said it doesn't matter who plays running back. I'm going to ask you this question. Does it matter really who's playing quarterback? In other words, Jimmy G, he, he's he's a guy you know he's not he's not a top five quarterback is kyle shanahan with a with a quarterback that can stand up so good that you just don't want to bet against the 49ers yes i i think that's right i think this offensive system um has proven to be that good and and it's the, the the real key to them is how much time they spend on their running game. And I know with PFF, it's like the running game is not as important as the passing game, da, da, da. And I, I get all that stuff. But every once in a while, you get that one of those outlier teams, right? That, that nobody spends as much time working and practicing the running game and semi sort of almost live conditions in practice, especially these days. Um, and their ability to push people off the edges is just second to none. And, you know, it, the Seahawks' big question is is always, can they get to the quarterback? Their, their pressure rate has not been very good. No. Uh, but this isn't about rushing the passer anymore. So maybe this one plays into the Seahawks a little bit better. But I, I'm telling you, I can tell you right now, Seattle, and this will go down to the last play of the game. It's like every game this year, for Seattle seems like it does. So these are the two, I actually don't, so three is, you know, most, three and seven, two most common numbers that games land on. But you mentioned a couple things. This is probably gonna go down to the wire. San Francisco, just to win, is plus 150, meaning you bet 100, they win, you win 150. I like that, I think there's some value there. You don't have to win that bet more than 50% of the time to actually profit on it. And then the total number of points is 54. And you mentioned the Seahawks not playing defense. Kyle Shanahan's going to score points. Russell Wilson is going to score points. Like, that's what they do. So I kind of like that. And um, you mentioned the run game, and I wanted to ask you this. Because uh, at halftime of the last Niners game, uh, Fred Gadelli, the greatest producer in the history of sports, goes, well, the, the Niners' run game must be dominating. And it turned out the Niners' run, run plays weren't necessarily dominating, but their pass plays are kind of run plays anyways. Their yards after the catch is ridiculous. And I have a stat to illustrate this. Jimmy G, since the injury cleared up, so his last two games, his average depth of target is just 5.2 yards past the line of scrimmage. It's the lowest in the NFL. No one's throwing the ball shorter. And you know who is leading the league in yards per attempt? Jimmy Garoppolo. Really? It's Kyle Shanahan is a is a damn wizard. And so as much as I love Russell Wilson and he's been amazing, I, I can't I can't get away from you, you know the you know the interesting part about it is I think they semi created a bit of a new offense in San Francisco. Jimmy G's ankle was so bad, they did not want him to take a hit. They want they had to have him survive that game we called and and just make it to the next week right mm -hmm. and and so they did all these little touch passes you know the motion and the handoff and throw it behind the line of scrimmage and catch and run to Debo and and George Kittle and and that style of offense so it actually 
it, it made it even smaller but it but they're all built around catch and run guys so who cares the whole point is to give the ball to them with a little bit of space and it's like they got even a little better at that because of the injury to jimmy g okay i gotta ask you this because i i you called the game i have rewatched the dk metcalf chase down a hundred times and every time i get goosebumps man i feel like i'm watching vintage michael jordan highlights or something you're calling that live like what is going through your mind i just take me i i want to hear it from your perspective um so he made the interception first i couldn't believe russell threw the ball like that i mean it was it was the pitch you know and so uh, not a mo- not a moon ball her. Not a moon no, ball. No, I'm not saying that word anymore. Uh, and and Buda Baker picks it off. And Buda Baker runs four four five. I mean, he's that four four five is flying. That's like a sprinter, and he's taking off down the field. And now with those jumbotrons in the end zone, these guys all know who's coming, mm-hmm. right? You can see the play live while you're running down the field in those situations. And so Al's calling the play, and I'm watching. And out of the corner of my eye, I see DK Metcalf running. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy is flying. And and it was like I was calling the Kentucky Derby or something. I'm like, here comes Metcalf. <laughs> Al looked over at me and said, Metcalf is <laughs> I mean, so, you know, it's like, you know, you're a fan. You're, you're caught up in the game and you're seeing something you've never seen before. And Metcalf is just smoking down the field. Now, I, Buda Baker had made a little cut. I don't think Metcalf could have done that. You know, he was going so fast. But he didn't, and he caught him, and they didn't score a touchdown. And it looked like that was going to be the difference in the game for a long time. And, of course, ultimately, Arizona did win the game. But it was one of the most spectacular plays I've ever seen. I You usually give Al a ton of space. You know, he's like, because it's Al freaking Michaels, right? I you don't re- usually come in on a on a play-by-play but that worked no. out perfectly well that's because i get swatted in the back of the head if i do it too much so but sometimes it just it just comes out of your mouth yeah. like you're just like you're seeing something that you know haley's comet is shooting across the field here and i just went there it goes <laughs> you know and, and it, you feel stupid after you do it but it's like it just boom, it just came out no, it was, it was I, I'm going to go watch it another hundred times. All right, uh, make a pick on this game. Oh, golly, gee whiz. Yeah, we picked some tough um, ones here. I, I, I am really worried that the 49ers are going to be like number two on everybody's top five list next week. You know, if they come out here and dominate again, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to take the 49ers. I love it. Um, last one, because I, I know we're short on time here, but the, the Patriots, I just, so they're a three and a half point underdog to the Bills. And I do this thing, Chris, where I I don't give up on teams early enough. And so I just, I the pain builds up. And I need <laughs> you to talk me out. Uh, uh, the Patriots playing the Bills, I here's my thesis. Bill Belichick got worked by Kyle Shanahan. He ain't, he can't be getting worked a second time in a row, can he? Unless they're just not that good. I, I mean, the Stefan Gilmore thing is yeah. startling, right? I mean, are they really looking to move Stefan Gilmore, the defensive player of the year? Is Cam Newton one of those guys that really got affected by COVID? Maybe. I mean, you look at his face, he looks thin, he looks, you know, and you start going, did COVID end the Patriots' chances of winning a Super Bowl or at least being in the playoffs this Mm -hmm. year? Because they look like a different team since those two guys got COVID. So, I I don't know. My, My only, so I had the same thought. The only thing that I, other thing that I can point to is Julian Edelman appears to be really banged up and he was great in that Seattle game. And has been non-existent he's like their only receiver so that that worries me i would love it if bill belichick actually went full tank that would be great for for all mathematicians out there 
Ooh, baby. Uh, that's, those two words together, I don't think I would ever put those two words in the same sentence. I, I don't see that happening. Too much pride, too much history for that going on, but I, I, don't, I don't know what it means. I, 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 he is as pragmatic as any human being on earth and it's black and white. Every decision is yes or no to him. And we have seen him make some trades and make some deals. What's the old saying? You want to do it one year too soon, not one year too late. So who knows who's next on that list? I mean, they've got some star players that never even suited up for him this year. And it's shown up. I mean, let's face it. Great coaching is great coaching, but, you know, those coaches aren't on the field. Somebody's got to go make the plays. That's a good point. All right, well, I'll probably get hurt again by the Pats, and then we'll talk about it next week. As usual. <laughs> All right, man. That was fun. Thanks. Thanks, brother.